Amen. If you would turn to Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16 um, and verse 13, Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. It's just one verse. Once you get there, if you would stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. We'll all read it together audibly. If you don't have a Bible, it's fine. You can hear as the Word of God is proclaimed. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Once you're there, if I could ask you to stand just for another couple of moments. This is just to honor the reading of God's Word. It's His Word that we've come to honor. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. Once everyone is there, then we'll all read it audibly together. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Father, tonight we pray for your help, for your anointing. We pray that you would speak to hearts in this room tonight. Lord, you know every life and every person that's in this little hall tonight. Lord, we're asking that you would speak. Lord, give ears to hear, hearts that are open. And Lord, give grace for repentance, Lord. And pray, O oh God, tonight that lives would be changed by the supernatural power of God the Holy Spirit. So Lord, have your way among us tonight. We give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You may take your seats. Praise the Lord. The title of this message is just found in the reading tonight. It's, No Man Can Serve Two Masters. Jesus said here in Luke chapter 16, I want to read the verse again. I want you to, just if you can listen in and keep your attention tonight just on the Word of God, Luke 16 and 13. Jesus said these words, No man, no man or no woman can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and he will love the other, or else he will hold the one or he will despise the other. You cannot you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now I want to tell you that we serve an awesome God. We serve an almighty God. We serve an all-knowing God. We serve a wonderful Savior. His name is Jesus. There simply isn't anything that's too hard for the Lord. He is a miracle-working God. He's a mighty deliverer. He's a wonderful Savior. And He's able to keep His people. The Bible tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 that for by Him, that is Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in the heaven, that are in the earth, that which is visible, that which is invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him, that's Jesus, and for Him. And He is before all things and by Him all things consist. He is a wonderful Savior. He is an awesome God. He is an almighty God. There isn't anybody like Jesus. He is the Creator God. He is the Almighty One. And through the cross, and through His death, and through His burial, and through His resurrection, Paul writes to us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20, he says that when He raised Him from the dead, that he set him on his own, own right hand in heavenly places. This is Jesus. And that was far above all principality and all power and all might 
and all dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We serve an almighty God. There is simply nothing too hard for the Lord. There are no impossibilities in God. Actually, the Bible tells us, Paul writing in Philippians 4 and 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. It tells us in Luke 1, 34, that with God, nothing shall be impossible. In Matthew 19 and 29, but with God, all things are possible. We serve a miracle-working God. There is nothing too hard for the Lord, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, or no matter how impossible that you are here tonight and you believe your life is or your situation is, there's simply nothing too hard for the Lord. He is a miracle-working, almighty, all-powerful, wonderful Savior, and He's able to save, and He's able to deliver, and He's able to heal, and He's able to keep. There is simply nothing too hard for Him. This Bible is a wonderful book. It's God's Word. It's a living Word. It's God's infallible Word, inerrant Word. This is a wonderful book. This book is truth. It is life. It is absolute this is absolute. This is the absolute truth of God. Where you want to find an answer that is truthful, that is absolute, you'll find it here in this book. Everything of your life, you'll find the answer in here. Everything pertaining to life, your birth, your life, your death, and your after this, the afterlife, you'll find it all in the book. This living word. This is a rescue plan that God has left us. A plan that God had had purposed in himself before the earth between Father, Son, and Spirit that when man would fall his creation that God had a rescue plan. I'm thankful that that rescue plan wasn't left with Joe Biden. Thank God it's in Jesus Christ. We have a great rescuer. His name is Jesus tonight. He's the one that comes to rescue us. Our hope is not in man or political systems. Our hope is in Jesus tonight. He's the great deliverer. This book tells us of a purpose and a plan of God that came into this world. God took upon himself flesh and he came into this world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on that cruel, shameful cross. He was buried and thank God he rose again on the third day. And that's God's rescue plan for man. His will is to save everyone. But there has to be a response from the heart of each individual. This is the greatest news on this planet tonight. In a world that's filled with despair and depression and confusion and all the mess that there is around us, we have good news tonight. It's the good news. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the power of God to save your life and deliver your life. This book inspires us, inspires our faith that we serve a God that simply there's nothing too hard for Him. But also in the Bible, there are what is known as, or certainly I believe they're known as, biblical cannots. There's some things that are simply cannots. And I want to go through some of them tonight. Because in a world where there's no morals, 
where there's no convictions, where there's no rights, where there's no wrongs. I'm thankful that there's a book that tells us the truth. And the truth makes us free. Here's some biblical cannots. If you have your Bible, Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul writes and he says these words, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. I want you to know this tonight. God cannot lie. So when you turn to God's Word, when you open the book, when you read the Word of God, it is absolute truth. It's good to know there's something that's truthful in this world. It's good to know that you can place your trust in something that is absolutely truthful. God, He cannot lie. If you turn over to Mark chapter 3 and verse 24, we're looking at some biblical cannots. Mark chapter 3 and verse 24, Jesus said, And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house, listen carefully, it cannot, it cannot stand. I want you to hear these biblical cannots because I believe it's going to clear some things up in some hearts tonight in this room. Some confused hearts. Some that are battling in their walk. There are biblical cannots. A house divided against itself cannot, listen, it cannot stand. It will not stand. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 18. Jesus said, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. I want to say that again. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. It is impossible tonight for a good tree to bring forth evil fruit. An apple tree will produce apples. An orange tree will produce oranges. A banana tree, I know this is simple, a banana tree, what will it produce? About five of you still awake. These aren't hard, I kept it simple tonight. An apple tree will never produce oranges. Never. It cannot. And a good tree can never bring forth evil fruit. It's impossible. In John chapter 3, if you turn to it, and verse 3, we're going to see one of the most important cannots in all of Scripture. This is crucial. John 3 and 3, Jesus is speaking to a man called Nicodemus. And these are the words that he said. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot. He might come to church. He might be religious. He might have a label of a Protestant or a Catholic. He might be a Muslim or a Hindu. He might give his money to the poor. He might be involved in great charities and so forth. But unless a man is born again, born again, Jesus said, Jesus said, who is the truth, the life, and the way, Jesus said, he cannot. Listen carefully now, friends, because it's important, because if I was to do a survey on the main street of Balnehinch tonight, and everyone that went past, and there was a hundred people, and I asked them, are you going to heaven I would say a large proportion of those people, maybe as much as 90%, would say, yes. They would believe that because they're a good person or they're some religious denomination or their background or they're not that bad or someone's worse than them or Jimmy down the road, they're not as bad as Jimmy and they're okay and they're going to heaven. But I want you to hear what Jesus said. It's important. Jesus said, except a man... Be born again. He said he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot. That's a biblical cannot. He cannot. He goes down two verses and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter. He's already said he cannot see. But then in verse 5 he says, He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It is a biblical cannot. Well, I've gone to church all my life. That's wonderful. That's great. But unless you're born again, you cannot see and you will not enter. That's a biblical cannot. Have you been born again? Have you been born of the Spirit of God? Turn over to Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. Now we're looking at those that have given their life to Christ. We're talking a little bit about what it is to be a disciple of the Lord. Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. And here is where there is an awful lot of conflict. There's an awful lot of conflict in lives. Jesus said these words. He said it. Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, and his own life. Jesus says, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it's not hate in the sense of, I hate you. It's that if Jesus is not first in your life, and if he is first, you'll love your father and your mother and your wife and your children more than you could ever love them. But if he is not first, if he's not priority, if he's not your everything, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, For whosoever doth bear his cross and come after me, for whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, Jesus said, listen carefully, he cannot. Is that what Jesus said? Are you reading it with me? He cannot be my disciple. Listen carefully, friends, tonight, because in this world that we're living in, there's an awful lot of misrepresentation of what a Christian is. 
what a believer is, what a follower of Jesus Christ is. And Paul writes some very strong words. It's nearly because of our politically correct world in which we're living that you're not allowed to say tickety-boo. Maybe you aren't allowed to say that. Sorry, if you aren't allowed, I don't know anymore what you're allowed to say and you're not allowed to say. But there are absolutes in God's Word. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to listen carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 21. This is what Paul says. Paul the Apostle writes these words and he says, You cannot, there's the biblical cannot, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord. Listen carefully now. And the cup of devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. It's very strong language. But it's a biblical cannot. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the church or in Christ. You cannot live a double life. You cannot pretend to be a Christian on a Sunday, but live the life of a sinner or a heathen the rest of the week. It's a cannot. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. You cannot come and enjoy the fellowship of the things of God on a Sunday, but drink the cup of devils on a Monday. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and he will despise the other. You can't serve God and the world. It's a biblical cannot. But you know the greatest tragedy? There are literally thousands of people trying to do it. They try to live a life somewhere in the middle of the road with one foot in one camp and one foot in the other camp. And the testimony of some of us in this room have found this to be true, that it's actually impossible to do it. But yet we try. You cannot serve two masters. But let me tell you something, there are two masters. There are two masters. One is Jesus. And the other is the God of this world. You can't have both. And that's why so many never come into the fullness of knowing their jo the joy of sins forgiven, the peace in their heart, the hope that there is in Christ, because they don't want to leave their sin they're enjoying the pleasures of the sin that only lasts a short time, but they don't want to let the sin go. But they do want to have God. They do want to go to heaven. They know there's a heaven. They know there's a hell, but they want to have both. Can I tell you, friend, it's a biblical cannot. You cannot serve two masters. We're living in a very critical time. 
And in the Bible, there's a great account of three men, three younger men. We know it well. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. And right back into Daniel chapter 3, if you would turn there for a moment, we find these three men are far from home. They're in a place called Babylon. They've been carried away into Babylon. God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, the judgment of God had fallen, and now they're carried away into Babylon. In Daniel chapter 3, we read there of a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this is important. This is just not an historical true story, but it has relevance to today. It has relevance to the generation in which you've been born. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and breadth uh, breadth thereof six cubits. Daniel 3 verse 1. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now we know the story without and through the whole chapter. But this image that was raised up was to be a place where everyone would come to worship this image. Now remember, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot worship two gods. But the the decree was made in verse 5 that when you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the the sacred, the psaltery, the decimer, and all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There was a consequence, there was a threat at least, if you did not buy into that system. If you were going to stand, if you were going to stand, there would be consequences. There's a cost to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a price to be paid, not for your salvation, but there's a cost to be a disciple. If any man desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We see that these three young men had convictions. They had convictions. That conviction came by the Word of God that they would have no other gods before them. They would serve no other gods. They had a conviction. It's good to have a conviction. It's good to stand. Verse 12, it tells us there that the word come back, that there were certain Jews. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these men, O king, they have not regarded thee, they have not served thy gods, nor worshipped the golden image which thou hast set up. You see, there's a pressure in these days for people to conform to this world, to fit into the world system. There's a system that is coming and is more potent, it is more organized, it is more planned, it has a greater purpose to it that we conform into that system. Are you thankful if you're saved tonight that you're not part of that? We're not part of that. We're from another world, another kingdom. But the pressure is that you come into that system, that you buy into that. In verse 16, we read there of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before King 
Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to see conviction here. I want you to see what conviction looks like. And they said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we need to answer you carefully in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O King. He is the great deliverer. They had a conviction. They were persuaded that they served an awesome God and their God is able to deliver them. We sing that song and it's a true song. Our God is able to deliver us. But then next is important, verse 18. But then they said, this is conviction. This is real conviction. Then they said in verse 18, but if not, but if not, let it be known unto thee, O king, here's conviction, that we will not serve your gods nor worship your image that you have set up. We serve Jesus. We don't serve two masters. We don't care if everyone's going that way. We don't care if the whole world are going to bow down and worship this image. But we love the Lord and we're going to serve Him. And whether God delivers us or He does not deliver us, we're not going to buy. We're going to stand regardless. That's conviction. That is conviction. That's true biblical conviction. We're not going to bend. Well, everyone else is doing it. We'll let everyone else do it. But we love Him and so we'll serve Him. And we'll stand and we know that He's able to deliver us. But you know what? See if the Lord doesn't deliver us, we'll still not bow to your gods. That's what the world is waiting to see. That's what God is looking for in this day. Men and women that are going to stand up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter if it's all over in the morning, we're going to stand for Jesus. We will serve Him. And if He delivers us, praise the Lord. But see, if He doesn't, we'll still serve Him. That's conviction, isn't it? That's real conviction. They were in Babylon. Now I want to show you something tonight that's important. Because Babylon is an important part of the end times. It's very important because this Old Testament account that we look at and we hear about and we're taught from a young age, it is actually important for the days in which we're living in. It's critical. So it's not just something in the past, but it's something of the present and something in the future. If you turn over into Revelation chapter 17, historically, Babylon, the one we've read off, originates right back into Genesis, the Torah of Babel. Babel is simply the word confusion. When they tried to get up to heaven and build that tower and God brought confusion and that's how we have the languages of the earth. God did that. And so this Babylonian system that we're going to look at in Revelation chapter 17, I want you to see it for a moment because it's before us and it's all around us. It's tangible it has infiltrated every part of our society, health, education, politics, everywhere you look. 
There's a Babylonian handprint upon it. Revelation 17, verse 1, it says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show you the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many, many waters. Now, the Bible is a wonderful book, and it interprets itself. When you see the interpretation, then you have a clear revelation of it. I know there's interpretations, but when there's a clear revelation comes through the Word, then you can see it. So, for example, if you go down to verse 15 of the same chapter, you're going to see something. The Bible interprets what we have just read. There's a whore that sits, a harlot that sits upon many waters. Now, in verse 15, it says, the waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth. What are they? They are the, they are the peoples and the multitudes and the nations and the tongues. So this whore, this system that we're looking at is sitting upon the nations of the world. It infiltrates every nation of the world. It's a global thing. You see it? And here we see, in verse 2, if you go back, this great whore with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now I want you to listen carefully because I know the book of Revelation is... It's difficult for us all, certainly difficult for me to grasp it all. And there's different interpretations of what this is or who she is. And I grasp that and understand that. But the, the seven heads and the ten horns, this is not the first time we read of it in Revelation. If you go back to Revelation chapter 12, you'll find it there also. I'll just read it to you. There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. The dragon, of course is Satan, the devil himself. And Satan has, in this picture, seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. So we see it again. Revelation chapter 13, again we see, I stood upon the sand of the sea, I saw a beast rise out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So when he's carried away into the wilderness and he sees this woman in Revelation 17, scarlet-colored beast, full of the names of blasphemy, seven heads and ten horns. I just want to bring a very general point on this tonight. Because I know there's different views on who she is and what she is. But I want to tell you what it is. It is a global, religious, political system in the last days. It's a Babylonian system that crushes and infiltrates every part of our world and the nations of the world. Can I tell you something, friends? You are seeing it on your television screens, and you're seeing it all around you. And the drive of the spirit of Antichrist that's behind that, it's the devil himself, is to cause you to buy into this worldly system. It is an Antichrist, devil-inspired world. But you know what God's looking for in the midst of this? God's looking for men and women that are going to serve Him. He's looking for young men and young women 
that are under extreme influence because of the worldly system that they're growing up in. This is a different world from even what I grew up in. I still believe I'm young. I know I'm not, but I still believe I'm young. But even when I was young, we did not have the influence of what you have today. That's the reality. And those that are older than me, those that are, there was a man here last week when I mentioned about a hundred years ago, we had horse and cart on the way out the door. He was telling me that he was worked for a haulage company in the 1960s that still had horses and carts. I was born in the 70s. I couldn't believe it. It was still happening in the 60s. We're living in a world that's dramatically changed and the influences upon young people, particularly in their minds because of the internet and because of the persuasions and the pressures and the systems that they're touching and coming into contact with, it's causing many to buy into this worldly system. But you know what God's looking for? He's looking for men and women that will stand up and say, I will serve Jesus because I love him. I have a conviction. I will stand. I will serve him. I will not serve any other gods because Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You will either hate the one or love the other. You will either hold the one or you will despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. It's a biblical cannot. You cannot do it. But yet there are some in this room tonight, I want you to listen carefully, there are some in this room tonight that have one foot in the world and we know the terminology, they have one foot in the church and it's a biblical cannot, you cannot do it. And could I tell you something else because I know in my own experience and there's people here that will stand and they will say that is true. I tried to do that as a young man, as a young Christian. When I give my life to Jesus Christ and I was born again, and I know, I tell you, I think, I believe this anyway, that at least two-thirds of the gray hairs in my father's head are my fault. Because if he, and if I had to listen to what he said, watch your company, watch where you go, separate yourself, don't run with the wrong crowd, come away from that. Because that's going to cause you trouble. If only I'd have listened to those parents at that time. But I thought I knew better. But the consequences of that are deadly. You can't serve two masters. You can't live for God on a Sunday and live in the world the rest of the week. It's an impossibility. But why do we try it? Why do we put ourselves through the grief and the pain and the agony of doing I did it. And it came to a point where I had to say, I will serve no other gods. I must serve Him. And when you surrender your life fully to the Lord, friends, I want to tell you the wonderful sense of His presence and His victory and His peace and His overcoming power is everything. But you can't serve both. And as we're running in, I believe, into the last stretch of time, and the finish line is just up ahead. Or Christ could come even this very night as we're running this race. As the apostles said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And let us run. And let us finish. 
but you can't serve both. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You can't sit at the table of the Lord and at the table of the devil. Let me tell you, friends, tonight, no man can serve two masters. And what must I do? What do I do, Tim? I'm caught in a place where sin has got a hold. And I don't want to be in the sin. But I'm in that place where it's got a grip of me. And it's entangled in my heart and I feel choked. Could I tell you something? The Word of God is so true. That if you call on the name of the Lord and and a sure and a sincere heart tonight, God will not only hear you, but we heard it tonight. He'll come down as the great deliverer and He'll deliver you. You can't serve two masters. You cannot do it. You'll either love the one or hate the other. Tonight God's looking people that are going to serve God. Serve Him with all of their heart. Serve Him with everything. Have a conviction. Stand for Jesus. Let's pray together.